Section 17 of The Red and the Black, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Madcap. The Red and the Black, Volume 2, by Stendhal. Translated by Horace B. Samuel. Chapter 47. An Old Sword i now mean to be serious it is time since laughter nowadays is deemed too serious a jest at vice by virtues called a crime don juan chapter thirteen she did not appear at dinner she came for a minute into the salon in the evening but did not look at julien he considered this behaviour strange but he thought i do not know their usages she will give me some good reason for all this. Nonetheless, he was a prey to the most extreme curiosity. He studied the expression of Mathilde's features. He was bound to own to himself that she looked cold and malicious. It was evidently not the same woman who on the preceding night had had, or pretended to have, transports of happiness which were too extravagant to be genuine. The day after and the subsequent day she showed the same coldness, she did not look at him she did not notice his existence julien was devoured by the keenest anxiety and was a thousand leagues removed from that feeling of triumph which had been his only emotion on the first day can it be by chance he said to himself a return to virtue but this was a very bourgeois word to apply to the haughty mathilde placed in an ordinary position in life she would disbelieve in religion thought julien she only likes it in so far as it is very useful to the interests of her class. But perhaps she may, as a mere matter of delicacy, be keenly reproaching herself for the mistake which she has committed. Julien believed that he was her first lover. But, he said to himself at other moments, I must admit that there is no trace of naivety, simplicity, or tenderness in her own demeanour. I have never seen her more haughty. Can she despise me? It would be worthy of her to reproach herself simply because of my low birth for what she has done for me. While Julien, full of those preconceived ideas which he had found in books and in his memories of Verrier, was chasing the phantom of a tender mistress who from the minute when she has made her lover happy no longer thinks of her own existence, Mathilde's vanity was infuriated against him. As for the last two months she had no longer been bored she was not frightened of boredom consequently without being able to have the slightest suspicion of it julien had lost his greatest advantage i have given myself a master said mademoiselle de la mole to herself a prey to the blackest sorrow luckily he is honour itself but if i offend his vanity he will revenge himself by making known the nature of our relations mathilde had never had a lover and though passing through a stage of life which affords some tender illusions even to the coldest souls she fell a prey to the most bitter reflections he has an immense dominion over me since his reign is one of terror and he is capable if i provoke him of punishing me with an awful penalty this idea alone was enough to induce mademoiselle de la mole to insult him courage was the primary quality in her character the only thing 
which could give her any thrill and cure her from a fundamental and chronically recurring ennui was the idea that she was staking her entire existence on a single throw as mademoiselle de la mole obstinately refused to look at him julien on the third day in spite of her evident objection followed her into the billiard-room after dinner well sir you think you have acquired some very strong rights over me she said to him with scarcely controlled anger since you venture to speak to me in spite of my very clearly manifested wish do you know that no one in the world has had such effrontery the dialogue of these two lovers was incomparably humorous without suspecting it they were animated by mutual sentiments of the most vivid hate as neither the one nor the other had a meekly patient character while they were both disciples of good form they soon came to informing each other quite clearly that they would break for ever i swear eternal secrecy to you said julien i should like to add that i would never address a single word to you were it not that a marked change might perhaps jeopardize your reputation he saluted respectfully and left he accomplished easily enough what he believed to be a duty he was very far from thinking himself much in love with mademoiselle de la mole he had certainly not loved her three days before when he had been hidden in the big mahogany cupboard but the moment that he found himself estranged from her for ever his mood underwent a complete and rapid change his memory tortured him by going over the last details in that night which had as a matter of fact left him so cold in the very night that followed this announcement of a final rupture julien almost went mad at being obliged to own to himself that he loved mademoiselle de la mole the discovery was followed by awful struggles all his emotions were overwhelmed two days later instead of being haughty towards monsieur de croisenois he could have almost burst into tears and embraced him his habituation to unhappiness gave him a gleam of common sense he decided to leave for languedoc packed his trunk and went to the post he felt he would faint when on arriving at the office of the mails he was told that by a singular chance there was a place in the toulouse mail he booked it and returned to the hotel de la mole to announce his departure to the marquis monsieur de la mole had gone out more dead than alive julien went into the library to wait for him what was his emotion when he found mademoiselle de la mole there as she saw him come she assumed a malicious expression which it was impossible to mistake in his unhappiness and surprise julien lost his head and was weak enough to say to her in a tone of the most heartfelt tenderness so you love me no more i am horrified at having given myself to the first man who came along said mathilde crying with rage against herself the first man who came along cried julien and he made for an old medieval sword which was kept in the library as a curiosity his grief which he thought was at its maximum at the moment when he had spoken to mademoiselle de la mole had been rendered a hundred times more intense by the tears of shame which he saw her shedding he would have been the happiest of men if he had been able to kill her when he was on the point of drawing the sword with some difficulty from its ancient scabbard mathilde rendered happy by so novel a sensation advanced proudly toward him her tears were dry the thought of his benefactor 
the Marquis de la Mole, presented itself vividly to Julien. Shall I kill his daughter? he said to himself. How horrible! He made a movement to throw down the sword. She will certainly, he thought, burst out laughing at the sight of such a melodramatic pose. That idea was responsible for his regaining all his self-possession. He looked curiously at the blade of the old sword, as though he had been looking for some spot of rust, then put it back in the scabbard and replaced it with the utmost tranquillity on the gilt bronze nail from which it hung. The whole manoeuvre, which toward the end was very slow, lasted quite a minute. Mademoiselle de la Mole looked at him in astonishment. So, I have been on the verge of being killed by my lover, she said to herself. The idea transported her into the palmiest days of the age of Charles Neuf and Henri Trois. She stood motionless before Julien, who had just replaced the sword. She looked at him with eyes whose hatred had disappeared. It must be owned that she was very fascinating at this moment. Certainly no woman looked less like a Parisian doll. This expression symbolized Julien's great objection to the women of this city. I shall relapse into some weakness for him, thought Mathilde. It is quite likely that he will think himself my lord and master after a relapse like that at the very moment that I have been talking to him so firmly. She ran away. By heaven she's pretty, said Julien as he watched her run. And that's the creature who threw herself into my arms with so much passion scarcely a week ago. And to think that those moments will never come back? and that it's my fault to think of being lacking in appreciation at the very moment when I was doing something so extraordinarily interesting. I must own that I was born with a very dull and unfortunate character. The Marquis appeared. Julien hastened to announce his departure. Where to? said Monsieur de la Mole. For Languedoc. No, if you please, you are reserved for higher destinies. If you leave, it will be for the north. In military phraseology, I actually confine you in the hotel. You will compel me to be never more than two or three hours away. I may have need for you at any moment. Julien bowed and retired without a word, leaving the Marquis in a state of great astonishment. He was incapable of speaking. He shut himself up in his room. He was there free to exaggerate to himself all the awfulness of his fate. So, he thought, I cannot even get away. God knows how many days the Marquis will keep me in Paris. Great God, what will become of me and not a friend whom I can consult? The Abbé Pirard will never let me finish my first sentence, while the Comte Altamira will propose enlisting me in some conspiracy. And yet I am mad. I feel it, I am mad. Who will be able to guide me? What will become of me? End of chapter 47 Recording by Madcap, London